Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane, brought to you by our wonderful donors at evidenceforfaith.org. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you're on the website, don't forget to check out some of our other courses and even live events and adventure trips we have going on, such as our marine biology trip down in the Florida Keys, or even our biblical archaeology experience down in Israel. You can find all these links and even more information down in the description. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend. Welcome to Evidence for Faith. It is your host, Michael Lane. I am excited to tell you about today's lesson as we are continuing our study on why are there so many different translations and looking at 20 different translations that are out there among like about 100 or so. Um, as we're going through this today, we're looking at the 16th one out of our 20th list. And this one is called God's Word Translation. Now, this is a very special translation to me. I like this one. Um, and I frequently speak to um, homeschool groups, Sunday school groups, um, all sorts of children for different type of uh, at camps and things. And sometimes if I'm talking to little, little kids or elementary age, um, middle school, this is a translation I will frequently use because it's, it's a very good translation. Um, and let's get into this. The it's called God's Word Translation, and as we've done with all of our lessons, let's begin with Psalm 23. See how it compares in this translation as to oppose, um, opposing the, the other ones we've done. So here we are, God's Word Translation, Psalm 23, the Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I am never in need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside peaceful waters. He renews my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the dark valley of death, because you're with me, I fear no harm. Your rod and your staff give me courage. You prepare a banquet for me while my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and mercy will stay close to me all the days of my life, and I will remain in the Lord's house for days without end. So, as you notice, it's it reads a little different, but it's very easy to understand. Um, this, this Bible translation is uh, passing through different readability tests on this. It comes out um, around a grade five. So grade five, that's like what, um, age 10? So in that range, and um, in some cases it might go a little lower, or it might be like a grade six or something, but generally it's about a grade five. So it's a very easy translation to understand. As I say, I use this one frequently, not just with children. I sometimes have used this for uh, with adults and stuff too um, when I'm speaking. Though I, as I've already said in some other lessons, I frequently use the uh, English Standard, um, New American Standard, or another uh, a couple of others that we we'll get into and stuff. But anyway, this translation is sort of, uh, it's it's not very old. It was um, put together in 1995. And so why, 
<laughs> Baker Publishing is the one who publishes this. Why did Baker feel like, wow, we need another Bible translation out there in English? Well, it was to give the readers a new approach of the idea of an optimal equivalence. Now, optimal, that is a combination of both formal, which is word for word, and dynamic, which is thought for thought. It's like if you put it on a balance, uh, take a board and put a fulcrum underneath it, this would fit right where the fulcrum is. It's in the middle range, right between formal and dynamic. In other words, it has both formal and it has dynamic in it. They wanted a very accurate Bible, um, yet one that was very readable for children. That was their primary purpose here, an accurate yet readable. Um, the purpose of this Bible, then, um, that, I mean, that was their, um, their purpose in, in doing that. But how was it translated? What, what were they trying to do? Well, they wanted consciously to produce an optimal translation that would be written. Now, this is where it gets interesting. It's written in the style of an American literature book. Those of you who've studied American literature in high school or middle school, possibly college, you notice the design of these books and how they're put together, um, where we have short stories, we have prose, they have poetry, et cetera, et cetera. The same systematic design that you see in American literature book, that's the way this Bible was put together. So it's written in that type of style, which the reason they do that is to make it readable to make it very readable. It's designed to be, and it, basically it's in single column. Many Bibles, you have two columns. This is a single column, uh, with the exception when you get into poetry, which there's a lot of poetry in the Bible. Then they go into, just like you would see in an American Lit Book, they go into a verse format, um, shortening to, to keep the rhyme and stuff like this together. It's just like it's written in a literature book. They wish to make the Bible um, that a, a type of Bible that any reader basically who can read well, can pick up and truly hear God's voice. Now, this is what it says in the preface, that the reader could truly hear God's voice in an easy-to-understand literature format. So that's the purpose and uh, the type of translation and, and what we have here. It is an optimal, and it's written as to be a readable text. They really wanted to get something that was so easy to read. Now, what did they translate from? This has a very interesting history because um, it's based, as we've seen with some other translations, they, they base them on an older version and they just like sort of update and stuff like this. Well, this one was sort of like that too, but it's based on a translation most people have never heard of. When I've taught classes on this, very seldom, maybe once or twice a, a professor would say, oh, I've heard of that translation or I have a copy of that one. It was based on what's called Beck's translation. Now Beck's, was a, a minister, um, I believe he was a, a Lutheran, and uh, in the, the Missouri Synod, I think, I might be wrong on that, uh, I should have probably checked on that, sorry, but um, Beck was a, a Bible scholar in any case, and he wrote um, a, a copy of the New Testament and uh, making a translation himself, and he called it the New Testament in the language of today. Now, he did this back in 1963, and with that, he started drafting an Old Testament. 
he started making a copy of the Old Testament because he's finished the New Testament. Now he's doing the Old Covenant. And as he's doing this, he's getting um, he's he's getting very, very old. And um, he just finished it just before he died in 1966. So just before he died, he finishes this manuscript. Well, if you combine the two manuscripts, obviously you have a Bible. And they were combined. Uh, some people picked it up, uh, friends of his and and associates, they picked this thing up, and in 1976, they finally put this whole thing together. They made revisions in it, because he was primarily doing this on his own. Um, Bex was translating um, from uh, ancient manuscripts on his own doing this. The Masoretic text and the Nestle Allen New Testament is primarily what he was using. And as he did this um, and put it together and they made these revisions, they called it an American translation. Sometimes you see it abbreviated AAT, the American translation. Now that was in 76, 1976, but it still needed some work done. Uh, there were some things, some of the, um, to make it a good translation, they need to put a committee together. It was about 26 people total uh, throughout the time putting uh, work into this translation because it's a committee, it's a translation. And, and they began this actually in 1982. So even though the, the Bible was completed in 76, they start putting this together in um, 1982. And I actually do have an old copy of Beck's New Testament uh, of today, that 1963 version, I have that. And uh, I do have somewhere um, in my library an actual um, an American translation, the one when it was combined. But um, as I say, in, in 1982, the committee started a revision, making this into a more um, accurate translation and stuff and version. This is where they get into some more of the formatting, the unique formatting of this. And they got it, um, they put it all together and they published it. It was Baker Publishing who, who finally published the manuscript, put um, the, their work and stuff in 1995. So this translation, as I stated at the beginning, this is from 1995. Um, if you get an old Bex translation, that's going to be back probably in the 70s. Um, and they're very interesting. Like I say, I do have one of those. And it's it's people are just amazed when I teach classes on this and I bring my Bex translation and stuff. Um, but in making the translate or making the revisions, the committee used they went back. They just didn't just take his his manuscripts and start working. They went back to the Masoretic text, and again, the Nestle Allen New Testament that was used so many times for other translations, so very good sources, as they put this together, making it as accurate as they possibly could. Um, so that's the same way other translations were done. So this is a valid translation. It was done by a committee, like I say, around 26 people overall, but not counting Beck's, um, Beck himself, but there were um, a number of people. So this is a valid translation. Now, it has a couple of really unique features. Um, this is one of the easiest translations to read. It's one of the most obvious things you come across. It's so easy to understand because the sentence structure is designed to be both short, making it very short. That allows elementary children to be able to read it and understand what it contains. So it does do this very well. That's why I use this frequently when I'm speaking with, with certain groups and stuff. A second unique feature about this it is just the style of its writing. 
it's hard to describe over a podcast. You almost have to look at it. And if you get a hold of a Bible, I mean, looking at it on Logos or Bible Hub or some other um, Bible Gateway or something like that, you sometimes sort of miss it. But having the Bible yourself, um, I have um, one of the Bibles uh, or my a Bible of this that I carry with me sometimes. And it's um, and one sitting on my desk right now, in fact, is sitting here as I was putting this together. And it, it just the way it's it looks and the way it reads, it's just so interesting because it reminds it does remind me of American literature book and, and taking in school and stuff. It's written in this literature format. That is so unique. It's really, really sort of cool. The English is very modern and it flows like a literature book, like a, a story in, in literature. Um, the, the word usage that, that they put together, it, it draws you in and um, it becomes very easy to visualize and, uh, and it really appeals to the reader. Now, because of this, the publishers um, and the, the committee who put this together, they gave a special term for this and they call it natural equivalence. Now, what, do, what does that mean? Because if you look in the preface or if you look up advertisements and stuff, it'll mention that the God's Word translation contains natural equivalence. Well, to make it really simple, it means that it was written in a way that the Native American speaker, like of today, how a person speaking English today would have spoken or written the Bible, those books and stuff, back in that time if they lived back then. Uh, I hope I made that clear. It's like how they would do it if they were speaking English like we speak today, but living there, and then they wrote it in the, the way that we talk in English and speak in English today. That's how this thing's put together, and that's called natural equivalence. And they advertise this all through all their uh, pamphlets and advertisements about this. Now, even though I love this Bible, and a lot of people I know when I've used this, even with adults, are like, what translation is the, the GWT? Um, and I would tell them God's Word translation. A lot of people have never heard of it which is sort of sad. It's it's on these Bible programs, but it's one people just don't look at very often. I wish more people would, because it's interesting. But some critics uh, claim that this translation is, and I've heard this many times with people, they say, oh, that's the Lutheran Bible. Lutheran Bible. Because, this is the reason I say that, because the translating board of the 26 people, the majority of them were affiliated with the Lutheran Church, the Missouri Synod. Um, and that society, that's what um, many of the translators, not all of them, but many of them were associated with it. Um, even, even so, that church never endorsed this <laughs> as their official Bible. They have not done that. And I know many Lutheran churches that do not use this, even that, that follow in the Missouri Synod, they do not follow this translation. They don't, well, they don't, shouldn't say that, they, they don't use this as their primary source. So I, I don't like it when people say, oh, this is the Lutheran Bible. It's the same thing when we had the English Standard Version, and some people say, oh, that's the Calvinistic Bible. Um, I don't like when they put terms like that, but um, I, I don't think it's valid to say that on here. Um, it's not Lutheran doctrine through this. It's um, it's just not there. Um, and th there are, another thing too, um, problem with this, that there are some verbs that the translators use that are probably not the most accurate. Well, they're definitely not the most accurate, but they did this 
And in doing so, what they did is they did the dynamic approach or the thought for thought translation here, because it's a difficult passage to understand, particularly if you're a fifth grader. And so they tried to get, okay, this is what God is trying to say. It's, it's complicated here, but we're going to put it in words for you to understand. So, I mean, we've seen this many times before. Whenever you're doing a dynamic or a thought-for-thought translation, you run into this problem because this allows human bias and paraphrasing to enter into your text. Uh, Like with the NIV, that and the NLT, they both uh, abound in this. This does this also at times, not always. It does it sometimes to make it readable and understandable for children. And other times, it keeps it extremely accurate going word for word. Um, so it's it's really in between here. That's why it's called an optimal uh, equivalence. This this means that the, the God's Word translation does have some paraphrasing in it. It does. And it won't tell you when they're doing this. They, they don't do that. Yet other times, like I say, it's very, very accurate and easy to understand. So it has the formal uh, methodology in this too. Well, as we've been doing in all these translations, we've been looking at the very, very serious and um, very important piece of doctrine, Christian doctrine. That's Titus chapter 2, 11 through 13. So I'm going to read that uh, passage as we have in all these other translations. Read that out of, out of the God's Word. And it uh, reads as thus. After all, God's saving kindness has appeared for the benefit of all people. It trains us to avoid ungodly lives filled with worldly desires so that we can live self-controlled, moral, and godly lives in this present world. At the same time, we can expect what we hope for, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you're going to probably notice right away that the doctrine here is sound, as we've seen basically in almost all these translations. It's very, very sound. Uh, And that's one reason I use this, because it does have, um, it is sound like that. And just to give you a little uh, additional comment here, just as we wrap this up, the God's Word translation is one of the easiest translations to read. If If you have children in upper elementary school and stuff, this is a Bible I would recommend. It's it's a very, very easy to read and very easy to understand because of the optimal translation that they did. Um, other translations claim to be optimal. This one truly is. On most scales, when you're, um, you're putting out on like a, a, um, a line from going from formal to paraphrasing, you know, you have the formal, uh, optimal, then you have um, keep getting away from formal, you get to the thought for thought or dynamic, and then you get to paraphrasing. This thing, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is like the fulcrum um, between a formal and word for word and a dynamic thought for thought. This sits right in the middle, in my opinion. Um, it is an excellent choice for young readers, and it is an excellent translation to use in Bible study um, as you do your Bible study. And I Hope you'll take a look at the God's Word translation sometime. Um, particularly if you have kids, this is a great one to get hold of. So I hope you'll I hope you enjoyed this and and you stayed with me through this whole thing because this one got a little complicated at times. Particularly how we talked about it was the beginning of Beck's translation and it's an updated version of Beck's in a way. Um, yeah, it truly is. But 
Um, if you have a Bex or something, you go back, if you can get to an, a library and look at old translations, read Bex, you'll see this, this is somewhat similar um, with the style that he had. He had an interesting idea to put the Bible in an American literature format, and it, it really stands out because it's so readable, too. So hope you enjoyed this, and take a, take a look. Examine God's Word translation. So until we meet again, take care, and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to help us produce the next course, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And don't forget to use some of the other links in our description. You can find out more about Evidence for Faith and what we do as a ministry and even sign up to some of our programs. And if you've enjoyed today's course, don't forget to share it with a friend so they can benefit from it too. And with that, we hope to see you on the next course.